The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. Well, like I said earlier, today is the last week in our month-long sermon series on the Lord's Prayer. So what I would like you to start out with is go ahead and open up your Bibles to Matthew 6. That's on page 811 of the Red Bible. And follow along with me as I start reading in verse 9. Matthew 6, page 811. It says, Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil footnote some of your bibles have a footnote right there and others of your bibles probably continues on in verse 13 there's actually a few more words and today as the filling in guy i get the footnote so if you would now Take your eyes and bring it down to the bottom of your Bible, to the teeny tiny script, and look at that footnote. In mine it says, some manuscripts add, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, if you have ever memorized the Lord's Prayer or recited it in church, you've probably included that last part, the doxology, the For yours is the glory and the power and the kingdom forever and ever. Amen. And you're probably wondering, why is that a footnote? Why is that not included in the end of verse 13 in most Bibles? And the reason why is because that doxology is not actually found in the the earliest manuscripts of the New Testament. When the New Testament was put together, there was a large number of different manuscripts that they brought together, and they they had to see, all right, what is the most reliable? And the most reliable manuscripts do not have that included in verse 13. And so, although it is possible that that doxology is part of the original book of Matthew, we can't actually say for sure, and it's actually a little bit more likely that the doxology was a liturgical edition that happened much later in the early life of the church. Now, I want to say a few things about that doxology. First of all, there is nothing theologically wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with praying it at the end of the Lord's Prayer. It is completely okay. It is, in fact, almost taken directly from the Old Testament. It is taken from 1 Chronicles 29, verses 11 through 13. And here at Jacob's Well, we are committed to preaching the Word of God and only preaching the Word of God. And because of that, we are not actually going to be preaching this doxology from Matthew 6 because we can't be certain that that is, in fact, Scripture. And so we're actually going to be looking at its original source in 1 Chronicles 29. And we're going to be, hopefully, getting a better understanding of what this doxology says what it means why it is that someone decided that this would be a good passage to put onto the end of the lord's prayer and how it is that this is good news for us so i want you to actually take your bibles and now flip back to the old testament 
to 1 Chronicles 29. That's on page 357 of the Red Bible and 535 of the Children's Bible. 1 Chronicles is a little bit before Psalms, right before 2 Chronicles. And go back there to 1 Chronicles 29, and we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 16. This doxology is pulled from 1 Chronicles 29, 10 through 11 and 12. And this is actually a prayer that David is making towards the end of his life. Follow along as I read verses 10 through 16 of 1 Chronicles 29. It says, Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I? And what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners as our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we look into this passage, as we look at this prayer of David um, that eventually found its way to the end of the Lord's Prayer, Lord, I ask that you would allow us to learn from it, that we'd be able to learn from your word, learn about prayer, learn about how you have taught us to pray. God, that you would speak to us and that ultimately that we would hear the goodness of your heart, the good news that, that there is to share and the glory that belongs to your son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, all of us have something in our life that although we claim it, we may know it, 90% of the time, if you looked at our actions and the ways that we actually lived our life, you would think that we didn't actually believe what we said. What is it that you preach in your head but don't actually practice? How about... Exercise is a necessity for life. Or flossing every day will help prevent gum disease. Or I don't need that last piece of chocolate cake. Or love your neighbor as yourself as you drive down Highway 41 during rush hour. You know, regardless of what that thing is in your life, the thing where your knowledge and your actions don't necessarily line up, Whenever we're confronted by that issue, whenever it is placed in front of our face, we usually respond in a few ways. It's either shame, avoidance, defensiveness, something along those lines. You know, as you fill out that form at the doctor's office, how many times a week do you regularly exercise? Okay. And this passage is kind of like that. 
This passage is a challenging passage because it actually hits us in a very vulnerable place. It hits us in a spot that's really convicting because what this passage says is it says that the greatness and the power and the victory, that the glory, all of the heavens and the earth actually belongs to the Lord God. Now, how many of you out there believe that that's true? Probably most of you. How many of you out there live like that's true? We can respond to this passage in a few different ways. We can become defensive. We can become filled with guilt. We can check out altogether. Or we can dig into what this passage means for our lives, and we can find the good news that really lies within. You know, what we're going to find as we look at this passage is that, one, everything in the heavens and the earth do belong to God. It all belongs to God. Secondly, that because of that, we are just stewards. We are stewards of everything that is God's. And lastly, a God who owes us nothing gives us everything. Everything belongs to God. We are just stewards of those belongings. And a God who owes us nothing gives us everything. Starting out in verse 11, David says it again and again and again. Everything belongs to God. Verse 11, all that is in the heavens and the earth is yours. You are exalted as head above all. Verse 12, both riches and honor come from you. You rule over all. Verse 14, for all things come from you. Verse 16, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. There is nothing in the entire universe, there is nothing in all of creation to which God does not say, that is mine. It's his. You can go back to the very first book in the Bible in Genesis 1.1 when it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You see, God is the creator of all things. Whenever we invent something, whenever we discover something, if, if we give birth to someone, there's this claim that we hold over it. We have this natural understanding that if, if you make it, it's yours. You, you have a say over it. And God is the creator of everything. He is the creator of all things. In fact, I've heard it said that man or woman, doesn't actually create anything. We just take what has already been created and rearrange it in different ways. But God is the creator. He's the only true creator. And therefore, everything, everything belongs to him. Now, this is a simple truth. It's pretty basic. Anyone can really understand it. If, if God is truly God, if you believe in a God, then it makes sense that he would lay claim to everything. But although that is a very basic truth, it's something that is really hard for us to understand. It's something that's really hard for us to hold on to and to learn. What happens when you take away a toy from a small child? They get really upset, right? They, they start fussing. They get upset because they feel like you just took what was theirs. But then on the other hand, what happens when a small child sees another child playing with a toy 
Well, they go over there and they see that toy and mine. They take that toy because they think that that toy is also theirs. It's kind of like in the this movie Finding Nemo, the seagulls. They only know one word, and, and throughout the whole movie, all they say is, mine, 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 mine. And it's, it's funny. And we look at that, and we laugh, and we hope that our kids don't learn to speak like that. But the reason that it's funny, the reason that, that we see this and this caricature is amusing is because it actually reflects our own hearts. We are constantly running around going, mine, mine, mine. I mean, we spend hours Every single year, looking for the next must-have item that we desire to own. Or how bent out of shape do you get after that first ding or stain shows up in the new car or the furniture or the outfit? We'll spend extra money to engrave or personalize or fence in what we consider to be ours. Now, it's not bad to have a, a new car. It's not bad to personalized things, but it gives us a little bit of a window into our hearts. You see, our emotional responses to things give us a hint into the ways that our hearts really think, because our hearts are constantly saying, mine, mine, thine. But the scriptures, they tell us a different story. When we look at this prayer, we see that, no, it's not mine, mine, mine. It's actually the Lord's. It's God's. 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 Everything in the heavens and the earth belongs to the Lord. And if that's true, then that means that everything that we think we own is not actually ours. In verse 16, David says, O Lord our God, all this abundance comes from your hand. And it is all your own. That means that our possessions, our homes, our children, even our talents and our gifts are owned by God. We're but stewards of what is already his. Now to give you a little bit of context into this passage... Yep, David is, is praying. This is actually at the end of David's life. And during David's reign, he had amassed a great amount of wealth. And one day, he was looking out, and he realized that the Ark of the Covenant was housed in a tent in the tabernacle. And yet, on the other hand, David was in a magnificent palace of cedar. And David realized, why in the world is God's house less glorious than my own? And he said, you know what, there's something wrong about that. And so he decided that he was going to go and he was going to build a glorious temple for the Lord. One that was much more splendorous, if that's a word, than God's or than his own home. But after he made that decision, the prophet Nathan came to him and informed him that, in fact, he would not be the one who built the temple. Because God had foreordained that it would actually be his son who would build that temple. And so what David did was he began setting aside wealth. He began gathering materials and supplies and money and setting it aside so that one day his son would be able to build this glorious temple, a wonderful house for the Lord. And where we are right now is at the end of David's life. He has gone out before all the people and he is praying this prayer. And the next major thing that David is going to do is die. 
So this is the very end of his life, and he prays this prayer. And we're going to read it again and follow along with me. It says, Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able to thus offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own we have given you. For we are strangers before you, and sojourners, as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand, and all is your own. Verse 14 says, But who am I? And what is my people that we should be able to offer willingly? In other words, David is recognizing that there's something inherently strange in the fact that they're able to offer back to God what was originally God's and is still God's, and yet God takes pleasure in it. God delights in the fact that they are offering these things to him. It's kind of like if, if I was to go to the library and check out a book or a movie, you know, I don't receive any sort of special reward. I don't receive any kind of special attention when I return that book or movie. The librarians are not overjoyed as if I had just brought them some magnificent gift or some glorious thing because I brought them back the thing that they owned in the first place. I'm just giving it back. And yet, God is pleased when we offer ourselves and our things to him, even though it was his in the first place. And the reason why is because God has given us possessions. He has given us talents. He has given us gifts and families and friends. And although we are not the owner of those things, he has given them to us to steward them, to be stewards of what is his. And the way that we steward what God has given us is going to reflect a heart of worship. And we are either going to worship ourselves or we are going to worship God. And God is pleased when we worship him. And so although we are just giving back to God what was already his, he is delighted when we offer to him what is already his. Now, whenever a preacher talks about stewardship, a lot of times things can kind of become a little bit uncomfortable. And the reason why is because usually stewardship means that somebody is asking for money. And yeah, stewardship has a lot to do with money. But it has to do with so much more than just money. Because everything belongs to God. Every single element of your life and who you are does not belong to you. It belongs to God. 
And so the question is, what is the beat that your heart marches to? Does it march to mine, 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 my stuff, my money, my time, my choices? Or, like David's heart, the one who exalts and glories and the one to whom all power and glory and victory and majesty falls, does your heart recognize that everything belongs to the Lord? When David recognized that, he spent the rest of his life setting aside resources to build the temple of God. And you know what? That should be the spirit of our giving as well. The reason that you give your resources, the reason that you give your money, your time, your gifts, your talents to the church is because you want to see the temple of God built. And you know what? That is a task that you are not going to see most likely completed in your lifetime. Because that temple is going to continue to be built until one day we are standing in glory with the King of kings and Lord of lords. And there will be present a great multitude from every single tribe, tongue, and language saying glory to God. Because the people of God are the temple of God. And the church, the church is the instrument that God has ordained to be the thing that lays the bricks and the mortar so that the Holy Spirit can build God's temple upon that. So my question for you is, how are you going to steward what God has given you? You know, right now, some of you may be feeling a little bit guilty. I know that when I am hit with this truth that everything belongs to God, and then I think back to the way that I I live my life, the priorities of my life, the beat that my heart marches to, I recognize that 90% of the time, it's not God, 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 but it's mine, mine, mine. And here's the kicker. Even if you were to give everything that you had to God, you would not be any better off because it's already God's. In verse 15, David says, For we are strangers before you and sojourners as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow. There is no abiding. Basically, there is nothing that we can offer to God to make him owe us anything, nothing. And yet, what has God done? God sent his son, Jesus. He sent him to be humbled, to become a man, to suffer and to die, not because he owed it to us, but because that is the character of God, because of his love for us. See, in Matthew 6, Jesus, the Son of God, teaches his disciples to model their prayer life after this. He says, our Father in heaven. You know, we call God Father, not only a term of great intimacy, 
but also great security because nothing can change one's status as a child of God, as a son or a daughter of God. He is our Father. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done. And for the creation, there is no greater benefit that we can experience than that the creator's will, that his desire for the creation come to completion. He says, give us this day our daily bread. I mean, who better to ask for our daily needs than the one who owns and controls to which everything belongs? And why would God incarnate teach us to pray, give us our daily bread, unless that was his very intention to provide for us? And forgive us our debts. You know, 90% of the time, our hearts cry out, mine, mine, mine. But the verdict for those who are in Christ is forgiven, forgiven, forgiven. If you are feeling that guilt, the message of the Bible is you don't have to carry that guilt anymore because another one has come and taken the punishment for us. You see, you are loved more than you can ever know, more than you can understand, more than you deserve. And like David's heart, See, David was a man who had sinned greatly. He had sinned in horrible ways against God. And yet when he understands the way that God overwhelmingly provides for us, the response is praise and wonder. And so it's, it should be of little surprise that the doxology to the Lord's Prayer would pull from this prayer, from, from this prayer that David gave, connecting it with the word for. You see, Pastor Dan walked through six petitions that are within the Lord's Prayer. And as he walked through those, there are things that we can go and relate to the Lord with. But all of those are grounded upon for. They are grounded upon who God is that yours, O oh Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and the earth is yours. Yours, O oh Lord, is the kingdom and you are exalted as head above all. That is good news because the one who owns everything loves you. The one who has all power has given himself for you. And so our response should be praise. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we know that you own everything, that it is all yours. And yet we confess that often all we care about is what we can claim for ourselves. We don't recognize that it is yours. We hold on to it. And yet, Lord, your desire is to bless us. Your desire is to provide for us. And you proved that on the cross. And so, God, I ask that you would soften our hearts, that we'd be, be able to rejoice that you are the magnificent and glorious one and not us. Lord, would you put our hearts in the proper perspective. And would you be glorified in our lives? 
And as we offer ourselves, our gifts, our talents, our money to you, Lord, would you be praised? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.